This is the EPLOG audio experience. How can strength psychology be used to power teams? How should leaders deal with mistakes? Hello and welcome to Voice of Achievers with me Yashika. You're listening to our special people and HR series and today we're sitting down with an expert to decode strength psychology, achieving peak performance and lots more. Our guest Mr. James Brook is an entrepreneur, business psychologist and leadership coach based in the UK with 3 decades of experience in assessment, talent and leadership development. He's also a certified coach. He created the next generation of talent assessment tool Talent Predicts to help employees hire talented people and empower them to thrive at work. In the past, James has pioneered the strengths-based approach to talent management in the UK, founding Strengthscope in 2006, and worked with clients including LVMH Group, Tesco, Novartis, Oracle, and Facebook among others. He's also authored multiple books on organizational management and leadership including Strengths for Success, Your Pathway to Peak Performance, Optimize Your Strengths and Stretch Leading Beyond Boundaries. He's a member of the Institute of Directors, the Association of Business Psychologists and also a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Personal Development. James specializes in unlocking positive Hi Impact Leadership King and we so happy to have him here. Thank you James for being with us. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me on the podcast Shashik and thanks for that very um generous uh, introduction. James 30 years of being in this space in the organizational development space. How is it that leaders or people managers can nurture strengths in their team members? It's a great question and I think um we don't see it often enough um and because a lot of managers and leaders they tend to focus on what's broken what's wrong what's not working well you know weaknesses where people need to improve and so on as opposed to strengths so I think that it starts with strength spotting what we call strength spotting or, or really kind of um using your observation skills your listening your questioning skills to flush out uh, what people's strengths are and every manager i think should be asking people when they join the company what's most energizing for you what do you most enjoy what are the sort of tasks and activities that you'd find um most challenging and most interesting so they should be asking these sorts of questions and it's not difficult to ask those questions far too many managers what they do is they observe uh people working and then they infer from that um what those strengths are that the people bring the danger with that is and I'll give an example a personal example which happened early in my career i had a manager who observed that i was pretty good at detail so she gave me a ton of stuff relating to detail lots of excel spreadsheets and everything else i'm drained by detail yeah. it really kind of drains my energy and uh, fortunately i was leaving that particular job um uh, to move abroad But um this was a good example of of managers often get it wrong because they assume too much. They don't ask the right questions. Yeah. And so I would encourage managers to ask those questions, really get get to know their people, use use observation of course, but also, you know, directly ask people. Um use also uh, you know, strengths assessment um to to get to know their people's kind of um strengths and career motivations and values. Have the conversations with them, those deep meaningful conversations. and then obviously help individuals find tasks and activities where they can really play their strengths 
where they can really put them to use and 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 give them challenging tasks, which challenge them in areas of strengths. You know, we talk about this notion of stretching your strengths. Mm. And I always I always ask groups of managers, big groups of managers, I say, how many of you have conversations in your one on ones, you know, your performance dialogues with your team members about stretching their strengths? And they'll look at me like, you know, sort of uh, blankly. And, you know, they've never heard of this notion. Right. We should all a little bit like, you know, sports coaches, sports coaches will be talking to um, those professional elite sports people about stretching themselves, how they can stretch their strengths, what they're already good at, as well as how they can obviously address some of those weaker areas. But um, we want to hear and see a lot more conversations. And I think that would change the workplace significantly from managers with their people about how can you stretch your strengths? How can you take it to the next level? You know, one of the interesting points uh, that you made was around having one-to-one conversations. Now, with people managers, especially those scaling, uh, scaling teams and scaling businesses and dealing with multiple team members, well, practically, it may not be possible to have one-on-ones on a regular basis. Number one, how often should these one-on-ones happen? And what's a way or what's an interesting way to navigate uh, this challenge of speaking to individual team members separately? Yeah, Yoshika, so, um, you know, in my experience, uh, most of the best companies, the best performing companies will ensure that managers having one-on-ones at least kind of, um, you know, once a fortnight, um, uh, if not once a week. And and, and I would suggest, especially if your people are working remotely uh, in this day and age, you know, it's really important to have regular catch-ups. So if managers are not having kind of one-on-ones every week or at least every second week, they're really not doing a good job and they can expect, you know, people to become demotivated and leave and, and everything else. So it's really important that the managers do that. The interesting, um, and research has shown this, the interesting thing is that often managers, they neglect their best people. Yeah. And, and why does that happen? And I've been guilty of that before, you know, earlier on in my career where I thought, oh, this person's performing really well, so I'll just let them get on with it. You yeah. know, they're kind of self-sufficient. I'll just let them get on with it. And yet it's those people that need to be stretched and challenged the most. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so they, they need the coaching and they need the time with their manager and so on. Uh, they need they need a, di- a probably a different sort of conversation from the average employee or the weak employee. Of course, they need a different conversation. They need more of a coaching conversation. They need more uh, discussion around how they can, as I say, move to that next level, what sort of assignments they're going to take next and so on. But um, but this is something that that is really an important call out for managers um, not to neglect their A players, their, their superstars, because often they do. Let's, In fact, that brings me to let's talk about mistakes and mistakes by team uh, leaders or people managers. How should leaders address mistakes, their own and the ones made by their team members? Yeah, well, I think, um, well, there's some good example at the moment in uh, UK politics, aren't there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Liz Truss and uh, Kwasi Kwarteng, um, uh, because it's, it's quite clear they've made a mistake. Um, and uh, in terms of not having all the data to, to back up their mini budget that they bought out, and this, this is actually pre- presents a fabulous learning for leaders and managers, you know, regardless of where they are in the world. Um, we live in a, an age of transparency and also acknowledging vulnerability which we didn't live in when I started my career. You know, we didn't live in a transparent world, um, you know, 30 sort of uh, years ago um, when, I, when I started. And certainly um, vulnerability was often seen as a sign of weakness. Right. And it still is. Right. It still is, you know, also depending on geography and culture and that sort of thing. 
But um, I think nowadays with social media and a more open world, a more transparent world and that sort of thing, it's really important to be transparent. And it's really important also, you know, to be authentic and to acknowledge vulnerability. And I think that will actually, and you see now sort of even the President of the United States and other people, they're acknowledging vulnerability more. And we see that more. So I think the, the, some of these principles are be transparent, be open if you make mistakes, you know, acknowledge your kind of vulnerability, acknowledge that you're human, you know, nobody's like a superhuman and people make mistakes. We all figuring it out together. Yeah. And by doing that, what you're going to do is you're going to create a real kind of learning environment where people feel it's safe and it's okay to make to mistakes. Make mistakes. Yeah. And that's then thing, that's thing going to kind of obviously open up, um, you know, kind of uh, more learning from everyone in the team. So the leaders really should should role model, should set set the tone mm. in terms of that that vulnerability and transparency. There's there's an interesting aspect that you brought up, which is around uh, remote working and of course now hybrid cultures and organizations becoming global. With all of these dynamics changing, what is it that the future HR managers must be prepared for? Well, I think there's almost like a tsunami of change, isn't there, Yashika, in terms of kind of the HR function. And uh, and a lot of that is around this kind of this uh, very flexible kind of work from anywhere culture. And even for people like me who've been working in a space for a long, long time, I mean, you know, when my employee says to me, you know, I, I, I'm off to kind of Portugal and can I work abroad in Portugal? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm like, oh, you know, this is new. This is a bit different. Yeah. Um, you know, how am I going to respond to this? But of course, then, um, you know, she goes over to Portugal and it, and it all works out well. And there's no no major uh, change, um, you know, that I can see in terms of productivity and so on. So we need to trust. We need to trust our employees. We need to also um, talk to them about, you know, these these options. We're, insofar as possible, because in some, of course, professions, in some uh, sectors and so on, it's not as easy. Like mm-hmm. if you're running a manufacturing plant, you know, you can't say to people where you can kind of, you know, go and work from home because uh, otherwise the machines stop. So I think, I think uh, you know, it's not always possible, but but insofar as possible, we should be uh, encouraging that because that's going to increase kind of motivation and increase retention and, and, and all those other good things. I think the the other things that are that are shifting significantly, I think there's so many kind of strategic issues now coming onto the kind of corporate agenda that mm. HR needs to weigh in on and, and become involved in and look at the people implications of that. For example, you know, we a lot of us are now talking about sustainability. A lot of us are talking about the green agenda. That has huge people implications. Yeah. Because the only way that we're going to get kind of alignment around that and, and forward momentum is to really engage our, our employee communities uh, in the conversation and and create um that mindset shift and the behavior behaviors necessary uh to 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 take that forward and make that happen um i think uh, diversity equity equity and, and inclusion i think is is really important as well just making sure that we're creating these kind of inclusive workplaces and and strengths are a key part of that actually because yeah. strengths are all about the cognitive diversity so we need to look beyond sort of group based diversity to you know, cognitive diversity, diversity in terms of styles that people are bringing and that sort of thing, um, their their interests, their preferences, and 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 you know, create this kind of welcoming environment in an organisation where people can show up authentically, um, insofar as possible, uh, at work. And so, I think this is also important in order to uh, attract, retain, and um, you know, promote uh, high. high highly talented individuals, top talent, because otherwise we're going to lose the talent war, um, you know, 
And a lot of economies now, they, they're struggling to hire and retain high-quality talent, particularly kind of specialized talent, you know, and that could be kind of engineering skills in a software company. Right. Um, or, or it could be, you know, senior execs and leaders where, where there's a real kind of challenge. So, for example, if you've got some um, female leader who's saying, look, I need to reconcile and balance, you know, my work life with my home life, then, um, you know, it would be certainly advisable for employers to create those flex work options where that's possible. Right. That can, that can happen because otherwise they're not going to get that person on board. A, a very interesting aspect that you brought about and that I'd like to talk about a little more is trust. Because we are functioning in, again, dynamic environments, hybrid virtual environments, what is that key to, number one, build trust you know, as a culture for the organization and number two, showcase trust in terms of how people managers are dealing with or trusting their employees and vice versa. Well, Yoshika, it starts with a mindset. I was having a conversation actually with somebody in our neighborhood um, who, who I met. We had a, it was the part of the Jubilee celebrations and I, I, I happened to have, end up in a conversation with an individual who ran a property business and, you know, and he was saying, oh, I'm, I don't quite know whether or not, I, you know, my people are as productive at home as they are at work. Yeah, and I exactly. Said, well, what, 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 I said, what makes you think that? Yeah. Um, and, and have you got data to show that? Yeah. And, and, and I think often there's a kind of, a, specifically amongst the older generations, often there's this notion that everyone has to kind of be in the office and be around you and you can yeah. see them and, you know, hear them and that sort of thing in order for you to trust them. And I think we need to change that mindset. We need to have that mindset that we need to, um, you know, give out our trust to people. And and then if they if they breach that trust, if they break that trust, then clearly we need to have that conversation with them, that direct conversation. But most people, if you sit, and it's, it goes back to, um, you probably come across the Pygmalion effect. I don't know if, if, if your listeners would have though, but the Pygmalion effect um, or the self-fulfilling prophecy is if if you set positive beliefs, yeah, and if you set um, you know kind of a, a tone of strong trust in the organisation, generally people are going to live up to that. People are going to you know um, uh, 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 respond positively and try their best to do to a good job. Forward. Yes, yes. Um, provided they've been really well managed and they're having those regular kind of one-on-ones and, you know, they, they feel they're playing their strengths and that sort of thing. They're going to stay with your organization. They're going to go above and beyond. They're going to go that extra mile. But if you have sort of low trust, if your starting point is you've got low trust in your people and you show that through your, your you know, your, your, what, you, what you're saying and what you're doing and your body language and everything else, and you've got a, a belief that people are going to you know, skive off and they're going to um, do as little as possible. They're going to be playing games all day at home rather than working. Then most probably um, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so it really starts with that mindset. But, but I do think organizations need to put in place sensible um, policies and processes as well and, and, and make their expectations of employees very clear. With that trust comes responsibility. And yes. with that trust comes, um, you know, things like kind of reg- regularly updating your manager and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so all those kind of responsibilities that go with that, I think employees need to understand. So, you know, and this is another thing I see leaders and managers not doing really well, which is setting clear expectations. Yeah, yeah. So so I had, a, I, had a, I had an example recently when a manager said, oh, you know, I went to an office, a very senior manager. I went to an office and, um, you know, I expected everyone to be in the office, but hardly anyone was there 
And so I said to him, well, what expectation did you set? You know, did you set a clear expectation that you expected everyone to be there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> so that's kind of almost like the starting point, you know, that communication about these are my expectations. When I come into the office, you know, I, I expect you all to be there or I expect most of you to be there unless you've got a very good reason for not being there. So these sorts of things, I think, um, are, are really important, sometimes quite um, straightforward principles, but in very important principles that are often forgotten, you know, because we are so busy, we um, moving so quickly and that sort of thing. We don't sit back and, and think, you know, oh, I haven't set clear enough expectations. Um, so, so that's just an important reminder. Uh, you know, which brings me to an important uh, dichotomy. With HR, there's always that constant juggle and you know dealing in that paradox of on one hand following the processes and making sure they're in sync with the organizational goals and on the other it's you know dealing with people emotions their behavior how does one or how can people leaders sort of balance this equation it's a great question, Yashika, and I don't think it's an either-or, right? I think good people practices and uh, people, kind of good people principles and good philosophy around people management, whatever that, that philosophy is that you hold, need to be accompanied with good process. And the reason why is, is, is what I was talking about earlier. I think good process, what, what it does is it provides the, 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 the guide rails. It helps to, you know, people to understand what's expected, what uh, what is required, the standards, and so on. So, so I think those good processes is really important to help people to, yeah, to stay on track. Um, I think I think that's that that's that's really important. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important that we, um, you know, take a very strong people centric approach, especially yeah. if we're in a very sort of customer oriented business. But I think in, in any business nowadays, unless you're looking after your people, unless you're attracting, retaining, motivating, developing, you know, advancing, career advancing, the, the, the greatest talent or the best talent, you're not going to be successful. Yeah. We know that. Yeah, yeah. we know that the, the, the standout companies have great talent. And of course, once you build a reputation, for being a standout employer, you know, best place to work, a great place to work, I guess, be. it's going to create this virtuous cycle where you're going to get more and more great people joining your organization and, and therefore, you know, your organization is going to do better and better. And things like, um, which I know we might talk a little bit more about, things like innovation. Yeah, you can't drive, innovation is a human process, Yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially. And, um, you know, innovation doesn't happen through machines and robots and that sort of thing. It happens through human beings. And so we need to get the right, you know, high quality talent on board in order to drive innovation forward. What has been one of the most challenging aspects that you've navigated as a leader or people manager? Mm, if you were question. to pick one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's so, there's so, there's so many. Um, I think in the entirety of my, my 30 years, <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's making sure that um, and and many kind of people leaders, many uh, CPOs and CHROs and so on. I think they relate to this. It's making sure that um, HR is and talent is uh, credible and invested in at, by the C-suite. And and I, and I think COVID has sort of moved kind of HR into the foreground. You know, uh, um, certainly in many companies where it used to be kind of you know, on, on the, on the cusp or kind of even in the background. And so for me, I think, I think what, what has happened that I think is HR's learned to be a lot more commercial in their approach 
and a lot more about what can we do to the business to help create value for the business. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so I think that whole kind of, you know, making sure that HR is a strategic partner, is a true strategic partner, and is addressing the, the things that are, are most critical to the business. I think that's probably, you know, been one of my great challenges. And I now help, you know, CHROs and CPOs and, you know, heads of talent and that sort of thing with that. Because because I think there's still a lot of HR people who they think a lot about the people, right. which is great. And they think a lot about the process, um, but they don't think enough about the business and they don't think enough about the strategy. And they don't think enough, they don't, they're also not sometimes, um, uh, uh, you know, courageous enough right. to put some of those strategic issues and, and, and initiatives on the agenda and say, this is why you need to invest in it. This is why you need to invest in DEI. This is why you need to invest in, you know, leadership development or, you know, um, a different approach to attracting talent into the organization. Um, so, so I think, I think that would be definitely, uh, um, I think for me, probably the, the greatest type of challenges that I've dealt with over my career. And having said that, what does achievement mean to you, James? I think achievement um, means, and, and, and I, I thought about this question when you sent it through, and it's a very interesting question. Uh, it's a very straightforward question, but a very powerful question. For me, it actually means, you know, optimizing your strengths and your talents. Um, it means um, not... Um, under-optimizing them in your career. Because if you don't optimize your God-given talents and strengths, then you're not really being in service of yourself yeah. when you end your career. Yeah. And and as I say, you're more likely then, not, not always, but you're more likely to have regret. Lovely. Beautiful. Thank you so much, James, for those uh, wonderful insights and experiences with respect to strengths, with respect to stretching oneself and achieving peak performance. Couldn't be more thankful. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. Again, thanks for inviting me and uh, hopefully your listeners get some value from that. Absolutely. Well, stay tuned for part two of this podcast as well and listen to James share aspects of drawing a career roadmap, building creativity and stretching oneself to achieve milestones. Amazon Music, Hangama, GeoSavan, Bink or any of your favorite podcast streaming apps. Until next week, this is Yashika signing off.